Look at the picture of the Last Supper. Have you ever thought about who these people were? You've probably heard of some of the more out front disciples. St. Peter, James and John, Doubting Thomas, or Judas Iscariot, also known as the Betrayer. But there were others at the table. In this series, we're gonna be looking at some of the others that Jesus invited to the table. And here's a hint, they're just like you and me. Thanks for joining us today. Let's learn more about who's at the table. Have you ever noticed that not many parents are naming their children Adolf these days? Or Benedict Arnold just doesn't really seem to be a very common name because that name has a certain history or connotation with it. So when we look at the names of the disciples, the 12 that are listed throughout scripture, we probably recognize some of the names because they're a little bit more out front. But what about the members of the 12 that we only may get their name or just a little bit of their interactions with Jesus? Today, I'm excited to share with you a little bit about this person named Thaddeus, that, that some gospels call him Thaddeus, other gospels call him by his real name, which was Judas. There's another Judas in the 12. You've got Judas Iscariot, and now this Judas. That's why in our scripture today, in John 14, 22, it is really careful to give particular attention that when it talks about this person, we call Thaddeus or Judas, they say, not Judas Iscariot. It's not that Judas. Having a very common name and I would assume that right, Judas in that day was a common name, uh, we can understand maybe why we would want to separate and have our own unique identities. So we can understand why Thaddeus wanted to maybe go by Thaddeus rather than the other Judas or not that Judas. I was born right on May 1st, and uh, there was someone born the same day as me with the same exact name. Now you may say Michael Smith's a common name, the same middle name as well. Do you know how I know? because that Michael Smith is a bad boy. I had a background check done for a job that I was working and they didn't run my social security number, they just ran my name and date of birth. Well, when you have someone who shares the exact same name as you and the same date of birth, we learned that there was a, a good Michael and a bad Michael. I'm the good one, by the way, in case you didn't notice. So what do we know about this Thaddeus or this other Judas? Well, from our, our scripture today, this is really the only time that we kind of see him getting engaged in the conversation. So I'm reminded again of how when Jesus calls disciples, he calls average folk. Now, this isn't a critique on their ability or their intellect. Sometimes as preachers, we like to poke fun at the disciples. And I believe that there's a special line in heaven just for preachers, where at the end of the line, we're going to meet the 12 apostles. And they're gonna, you know, they're not gonna, they're gonna tell us how it really went down. Because when we preach about them, we say this is how they were. Oh, common fishermen. I feel like, you know, at least nine out of the twelve disciples are gonna give me a smack when I get to heaven as a way of you totally got me wrong. I mean, this this is what we do. We we make the disciples to sometimes be less than really what they were. And it wasn't so much about their ability or their intellect or even just their occupations. 
But when I talk about average folk, Thaddeus is kind of a great example of this. Thaddeus is kind of the person at the party that you weren't sure, you thought you saw him there, but you're not absolutely sure if you remember seeing him there. It was like, is Thaddeus here? I don't know, I think he's in the other room. He's the kind of person that you work with that's kind of down the hall maybe, and like you, you know them, but you really don't interact with them. Like that's, that's some of the people that Jesus had. Some people that maybe just like to drift off a little bit more into the background, and that's really okay. We're going to learn more about some of those folks in these next few weeks. I'm excited to share their stories with you. But when we think about Thaddeus, the thing that I take away from this is that as disciples, we're not poured into the same common mold. He just sort of blends into the background. This is the mystery of discipleship. Disciples look different, have different backgrounds and personalities. The Apostle Paul talked about in the New Testament, the body of Christ. But he could have easily used the example of the 12. They were different people, and they were still part of what we call the apostles or the disciples. And when he was writing to the New Testament church, he, he understood this, and that's why he used this image of body, because he knew that in the church itself, there were Gentile converts, there were uh, Jewish converts, that there was this great mixture of different people in all of these New Testament churches. And so we see this in the ministry of Jesus, even through the New Testament, that as disciples and followers of Jesus, it's okay to be unique. It's okay to be average. It's okay to be different. So how do we know Thaddeus? How does he come onto the scene? In our scripture, you heard him uh, ask a question. And there's something I just really like about that as disciples. How can we be known as people who ask really important questions? So much of the out front disciples like Peter, we know who they are and their stories because they're willing to give answers rather than engage in dialogue or asking questions. But a, someone who asks a question is like someone who's able to flip the light switch on in a room. Darkness and ignorance are dispelled. So he is now on to the forefront, not because he wants to give an answer, which so much of what we try to do in the church, but because he asks a powerful question. Sometimes the church is giving answers to questions that people really aren't asking anymore. How can we ask good questions as a disciple of Jesus? How do we encourage dialogue with one another? So here's the question from the scripture. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Pretty important question. Now, remember in John's gospel, John 14, this is the last night of Jesus' life. And Thaddeus probably thought that Jesus was going to establish this kingdom. You can feel it in the air. But he's saying, why are you just telling us, why don't we go global with this thing? Why, why not take this? This is the time to take this thing, to take this message. We can feel the urgency in the air. And let's do a full-blown marketing campaign. Let's advertise. Let's rally the troops. Let's gain support for this. Now's the time. Lord, why are you going to just talk to us about this? We got it. We've been with you for a little while. Now's the time to take this thing global. That's his question. Here's Jesus' answer. Anyone who loves me. Jesus establishes this new operating system of the kingdom as being a kingdom of love. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And certainly Jesus could have done something magnificent to convince the world of his godness. Maybe he could use his godness to control the masses. But this kingdom is not a kingdom of force. This is a kingdom of love. Jesus is simply saying, if you love me, you'll follow. And if you don't, you won't. And this must have probably shocked Thaddeus and the other disciples that night. It still shocks us today. Because as much as we know that the kingdom is a kingdom of love, sometimes we as disciples want this kingdom to come by force, by a campaign, by a full-blown marketing scale. We throughout church history have seen this happen. We see uh, governments, or even all the way back to Constantine in church history, believe that followers of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is established by making Christians by force or by the sword. The institutional church or clergy, right? We put up rituals, liturgies, traditions, ecclesiastical requirements sometimes for what this kingdom of God looks like. Sometimes as, as parents or teachers, we place our trust in catechisms or in um, trying to teach and to instruct in a way. You've probably heard the proverb that said, instruct a child or train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And we've placed our hopes in proverbs like that, which again are not promises, they're principles. Because we see that sometimes as parents or teachers, we can do everything we can to try and live out that verse of training people in the way that they go. You can't force someone into this kingdom. Whether by the sword, by rituals, by teaching. As a church, sometimes we'll do everything that we can to, in our attractional nature, in the come and see movement to say, check out all the cool bells and whistles of our church and that's how the kingdom will come, is we'll just get a big crowd together. We see Jesus with the crowds. We see Jesus with his disciples. We see the crowds leave Jesus sometimes because his teaching can become too difficult. So this kingdom is not gonna come by some mechanism that we put within our own human hands. This kingdom is a kingdom of love. What Elton Trueblood said in Alternative to Futility is, what we need is not intellectual theorizing or even preaching, but a demonstration. One of the most powerful ways of turning people's loyalty to Christ is by loving others with the great love of God. We cannot revive faith by argument, but we might catch the imagination of puzzled men and women by an exhibition of a fellowship so intensely alive that every thoughtful person would be forced to respect it. If there should emerge in our day such a fellowship holy, without artificiality, and free from the dead hand of the past, it would be an exciting event of momentous importance. A society of genuine, loving friends, set free from the self-seeking struggle for personal prestige and from all unreality, would be something unutterably priceless and powerful. A wise person would travel any distance to join it. Thaddeus would have walked with Jesus. He would have been there with the 12 and he would have heard Jesus' teaching. He would have seen how some of the other disciples 
missed the point at times and would have benefited from being in the background. And on this night, where he could have sensed that something powerful and important is about to happen, he offers up a question that invites Jesus to show us what life and what the kingdom is really going to be about. Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my teaching. You will obey my teaching. And what happens? My Father and I will come and be with you, and you will be with us. I don't know what type of kingdom we've been trying to build. If we've tried to use force, or we've tried to use catechisms or rituals or anything else that we do within our human systems and structures to bring about God's kingdom. What if we just remembered what Jesus taught us, what he responded to Thaddeus or the other Judas by saying simply this, it's a kingdom of love. If you love me, you'll follow. If you don't, then you won't. There's no force. There's just a beautiful invitation to follow and to love. So here's my encouragement for you today. There isn't necessarily a one, two, three program, an ABC step that will help us learn how to love well. If anything, love is going to be hard. The invitation today to live out this kingdom of love is to do that thing which is necessary, that love invites us to do. What would love require me to do in this relationship, in this moment, in this situation, in our community, in our church, and in our world. I can't just hand you something to do to make you do it, because then that would be me putting my kingdom upon you. And I want to be part of a kingdom of love, not a kingdom of force. So I don't think we can legislate our problems away. I don't think we can legislate our differences away. I think what we need to do is lean into this kingdom of love, even when it's hard. So, in Acts 1.13, Thaddeus is brought back onto the scene and he's uh, mentioned again by using the name of Judas. And while the other gospel writers and I today kind of referred to him as Thaddeus, what he did is he started to live into his name, but he took on a nickname. He went by Jude. Now, I know you may have already had your breakfast with the Beatles, or from now on, that song, Hey Jude, is going to be in your head the entire rest of the day. You're welcome. It's a great song. But throughout history, this apostle takes on the name of Saint Jude. In our country, there's a hospital called St. Jude's Children's Hospital, named after Thaddeus, named after the other Judas, or named after how he would call himself Jude. And throughout the tradition and the history of the church, St. Jude has become the patron saint of lost causes, the patron saint of the desperate and the despairing. Is that not what love will invite us to do, will require of us when it's hard, when we're desperate, when there seems like there is no hope. Love points and leads us to hope. So we take a lesson from Thaddeus. We take a lesson from St. Jude. And I think we need to even take a lesson from St. Jude's Children's Hospital. They understand who they are. You ever watch their commercials? They show 
a, a sick child on TV. And they say, because you support St. Jude's Children's Hospital, this child has learned to get better. We've been able to help this child. This child has been able to heal through your support. And that's a message I think we're losing as the church today, is that is the church really a place where people who are desperate and despairing or feel like they have no hope or are, would be in the midst of a lost cause, they can come to our church, they can tune in and maybe watch a video like this and discover that there is hope and discover that this kingdom that Jesus invites us into is a kingdom of love. So even when you don't feel it, Jesus loves you. Even if you're not even able to articulate and to express fully how you feel about God right now, you need to know you're loved. There's hope. There's a kingdom of love that you are invited to be into. Now here's what we need to do as a church, to be able to tell our stories, just like Thaddeus, right? And to be able to say, hey, we may be in the background, we may not be in the forefront, but listen, here's our story, and, and this is it. We're part of a kingdom of love. <laughs> here's someone who was without hope, but now they have it because of Jesus. Here is someone that was lost, but now they're found, because I believe in the life-changing power of the love of God, and I believe that we should all be part and welcome into this kingdom of love. Let us pray. We thank you for your transforming love, Lord, that takes us, reminds us of who we truly are as your beloved, and works within our heart, in our desperate situations, and our hopeless days, to give us a future, and to give us life. So Lord, I pray for all those that might be discouraged today, that have heard about a kingdom that was a kingdom of something other than love. When we forget to love, when we want our kingdom to come and we want your will to be done by force or by coercion or by power, give us the strength to love. So Lord, remind us that we are loved and that we are called to love others as you have loved us. And that's hard, but we do that work because we're part of this kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.